following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Earthling. Uh, His Highness the Jackal. The Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of Virginia. <laughs> I think Jackal's a Latino. I'm not sure, but he'll give it to you again. The Jackal. Welcome one, welcome all, welcome friends, welcome foes to another exciting episode right here inside the Jackal's Head, live on, of course, psn-radio.com, SoFlow Radio, the Global Enlightenment Radio Network, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, all over the place, guys. Thank you for joining and being part of the show tonight. I have uh, another excellent broadcast for you. Uh, we, of course, spanned no part of the globe other than uh, the inner workings of my mind for the facts. So let me just tell you what I'm going to tell you right off the bat. This is 11-19-2020. That's right, folks, November 19th, 2020. That's a fact, and I'm going to share some more facts with you. What you heard earlier was a fact coming out of Ireland. Uh, there's more facts that I'm going to play for you tonight. But one thing I want to keep everybody in mind, the boundaries between reality and fiction are starting to become blurred, and that's thanks to the news that keeps lying to you. Guys, we're in scary times, so I want to welcome all, and thank you for being here and spending a couple hours with me on the uh, very, very dark winter that we're going to start facing pretty soon, if we don't correct the ship. Folks, tonight... And the rest of this year is very important. So please listen up to the next hour. And uh, hopefully you guys get something out of it. I have a lot of important clips I'm going to get to in a few minutes. But I'm also going to announce what I have uh, coming up after the first hour. I have an amazing guest, Dr. Mike Merrill is going to be with me. It was supposed to be a dual interview with Mike Merrill and Michael E. Wilson, Mike and Mike. Unfortunately, Mike Wilson is not going to be uh, available tonight. Um, he had a procedure he had to attend to, uh, not his own, I don't think, somebody else's. Remember, these are doctors that we're dealing with. And, uh, you know, they he had something that he had to attend to. We kind of overlapped. So we have one of the mics. We have Mike uh, Merrill, uh, who's going to be uh, with me in the second hour. And uh, they're, you know, they're both of them, Mike and Mike are a dynamic duel that speak about uh, the importance of being mindful of one's emotions and perceptions. Uh, when one understands their perceptions and emotions, motivations and behaviors, they will be able to understand their true reality. And that's exactly what, you know, this show is all about reality and accepting the reality of what it is that we're facing on our everyday level, uh, and in our everyday lives. So it brings me a lot of joy to really speak to somebody like that who is, uh, really, uh, somebody in the forefront writing about this stuff and, uh, somebody who I think is going to open up a lot of eyes, Dr. Uh, Mike Merrill also is, uh, he's been a pastor of a local church in uh, one town for 40 years. That's almost as long as I've been alive, guys. So when I was two years old, this man was already a pastor at his church. Um, he graduated uh, magna cum laude from, uh, with a Bachelor of Arts in Religion and Philosophy and a minor in Psychology. He also has a Master's of Divinity degree from Osbury Theology, uh, Theological Seminary uh, with academic honors. After two years of an associate, 
he and his growing family located to uh, Hilton, New York, and are still based there. Uh, he earned a doctor in ministry uh, degree from a Northwestern uh, Seminary with his uh, dissertation, The Five Basic Emotions, A New Symptoms Approach. And again, it brings me a great joy to uh, bring this gentleman on board tonight on the second hour and uh, talking to him and getting to, uh, you know, his side of uh, what's been going on, not only with the world, but his insights of our own reality and our own emotion. So that's going to be a really good time on hour number two. Hour number one, we're going to get to, again, some clips in a little bit and uh, a lot of stuff happening with uh, this whole, uh, not only the COVID-19, uh, as you heard there, but, you, you know, the, the hoaxes that have been uh, concocted over the last year. And this includes the election fraud, should I say it? Am I going to be uh, muted from social media? Am I going to be somehow, you know, blackballed because I, I'm calling this a giant hoax? Uh, the election fraud of the century, and uh, not only this century, possibly in the history of this country. Uh, that's what it's looking like, folks, and it looks more and more every day like uh, the president, uh, the one we elected, we the people, uh, elected Donald Trump in 2016 and in 2020. And yes, folks, it's starting to look a lot like uh, the fixes in from the left kick him out the door and oust the president that we the people elected and that is something we cannot allow we have a couple of clips from Sidney Powell who joined Rudy uh, Giuliani today in a, in a speech uh, talking exactly about this stuff I'm going to play the audio of it as uh, you know YouTube has their thing about playing video and audio together and uh, you don't want to get into trouble with YouTube so I'll be gentle and I'll only play uh, the, a couple of video uh, audio clips as normal. And um, I really want you guys to pay attention to the audio, though, because it's very important that every single one of you really listens to what is being said by Sidney Powell. And uh, she is somebody who has been in the uh, legal team for the president trying to get this stuff out there for uh, the number of weeks now that this whole thing has been uh, dragging out. Uh, and this should have stopped days and days ago. I mean, uh, this election should have been called the day it was supposed to be called. The president was on his way to victory. And then all of a sudden, people stopped counting. Votes started coming in in very mysterious ways. Things just got out of control and out of hand. So we have that to talk about. A couple other things I wanted to bring up. Uh, including something in entertainment, which has to do with the uh, show that I love, The Mandalorian, and a little controversy is going on with that. I might do a, a couple minutes on that in a little bit. Uh, we were talking about it on, the, well, we kind of like skimmed over it a little bit over on Kaiser's uh, show this uh, past week. Uh, but with that said, I also wanted to acknowledge a guest that I couldn't get to this weekend and uh, apologize to. Her and to the audience, I had to cancel my Sunday night show in an emergency. Uh, so to June Lundgren, who was supposed to be my guest on, I sincerely apologize. Um, we're gonna we rebooked her. We're gonna have her back on, or we're gonna have her on uh, within uh, probably the next uh, couple of weeks here. And uh, the reason I had to like uh, kind of uh, bail on the show, there was an emergency, and uh, 
had to do with a good friend of mine. Now, if you guys follow the show at all, you know uh, the other guy from Skywatchers Radio, as he was nicknamed by Bill Burns. Uh, really, his name is uh, Seth Allen Weiler. Some of you might know him as Allen, which is his middle name, and he went by that. He had a, a heart attack uh, on Saturday, Friday actually, and uh, Saturday they uh, did emergency surgery on him, and uh, he had a, a stent put in his heart. I found out about it right before my show, and as you as you know, I uh, you know panicked and uh, thought that he might you know be lost and we might lose him. I've lost a couple of friends this year to a heart attack, so um, you know unfortunately. Uh, he went through that, but very fortunately, though, it looks like, you know, he's going to be on the road to recovery as the stent went in and uh, they were able to at least, uh, you know, get to it in time and uh, save his life. Uh, so, you know, our uh, thoughts are and uh, prayers are with my uh, good friend Seth Allen and Weiler and uh, hopefully for a speedy recovery and uh, hopefully, you know, he's able to get back on his feet soon and, uh be the uh, the other guy once again. We were actually just talking a few days before he had the heart attack on uh, bringing back Skywatchers Radio for video radio. Now that I'm doing both video and radio on uh, on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, all over the place, and we're discussing the possibility of bringing that show back. So it's very possible that you might actually hear Skywatchers Radio come back into existence. And uh, be a part of uh, the, you know, the the next year in 2021. Uh, we don't know yet what's going to happen next year. You know, nothing is uh, promised. You know, like I, I thought, you know, early on this year that I was going to have my good friend George Rodriguez with me the entire year, and unfortunately, he passed in July. And uh, you know, I've, like I said, I've had a couple of friends uh, who've passed away this year of heart attacks, and. Uh, and over the last few years, we lost Art also, Suds Coleman, uh, last year. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's horrible when you lose friends and loved ones. And uh, you have to kind of deal with it within the moment. So, again, our shout-outs and our well wishes are with our, our friend Seth, who we all love here on the network. And uh, wish nothing but a speedy recovery for. And, again, to June, apologies, you know, and hopefully uh, we are okay and we're able to go on uh, you know when we rebook you and have you back on the show uh, michelle freed i want to give her a, a special thank you for understanding also uh she's made a lot of the uh the current guests that i've been having on possible and she's a, a wonderful uh, agent and uh, does a really terrific job of uh doing her job so big thank you to her for everything she does uh now moving on to some of the things i wanted to cover because there is uh some uh Things which I did want to get to, uh, including a new member of the network. Uh, that's right, we took in a new show this uh, week, Blue Collar Politic uh, Radio, Blue Collar Politics with Thomas A.J. Fry is now on PSN-Radio.com, and I wanted to welcome him onto the network and uh, had a very cool uh, guest, uh, Lily... Bachatara, I wouldn't say her name. Uh, maybe I'm butchering the last name. He had a hard time with it. So, and he's American. I'm Cuban. So I think I, I'll be okay on that one. Uh, but wonderful guest, uh, and uh, the podcast is now up on the uh, PSN SoundCloud. If you guys want to hit that up, it's SoundCloud.com forward slash PSN Radio, all one word, PSN Radio. 
And uh, you can find all our podcasts on there. You could also find all the uh, podcast video on YouTube again and Facebook stuff like that, and and uh, my page angelespinal.com also has all my podcasts. You know, I, they asked uh, me earlier this week how many uh, shows have you done, and I was like, well, which one? Because <laughs> there's there's been a lot of folks. I've done a lot of podcasting over the last decade. Uh, just on this show, inside the jackal said I'm. Uh, about over 200 in like 70, I want to say, uh, somewhere around that that range, more or less. Um, actually, it's more. In reality, it really is a lot more. Uh, but I've had to like uh, you know kind of uh, make do with the number that I do have uh, because there was an issue with GoDaddy, who was our host for a while, for a long time actually, and they still are for the website. But for the actual downloads, there were the host of the MP3s that we had after every show. And they had a, a crisis with their server, which was an older server. And uh, their meltdown caused uh, me to lose all my MP3s, which were stored over there. Had about over 400 shows at the time. This was a few years ago. Out of that, I was able to save over 200-something on this show. Now I'm at 259 and uh, this year, I've uh, w- you know was able to get back on the horse and started doing the show again after not doing the show for a few years. So that tells you, you know, this show took about a four-year hiatus, and I had at one point 400 shows on uh, Inside Jackal's Head. So that tells you how many shows you know I have done, considering that still I have 259 registered, and this will be 260 on the uh, SoundCloud. Uh, so, you know, we're nearing that 300 march uh, once again on this show, and that's a good mark. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, something if you guys want to take a look at my previous shows. You can go to SoundCloud.com once again, SoundCloud.com forward slash PSN radio, and follow the links, follow the playlist. It's right on there, and uh, it's all over the place, guys. We're on Spotify, iHeart, you name it, we're there. And uh, now... Breaking news, I'm going to go right into uh, some news here that uh, should not shock anybody. Uh, You know, this is, of course, how the left dominates the news. You know, they put their their news out there, they sling their arrows, they take their jabs, they belittle, they, they mock, and they have no facts. But they say things in a certain language that people take, and they're like, oh, it must be true if CNN is saying it or if ABC is saying it, you know? Uh, now, this is coming from Georgia Secretary and State Brad Russin's uh, uh office, who said uh, in a released uh, memo, he said, uh, the results of a full-hand count um, audit is roughly 5 million votes cast in the presidential contest there. Showing Joe Biden has a, uh, maintained his lead over Donald Trump. Now, here's where the recount is silly, and it's a waste of time. Now, it is furthering the time that we've gone from election night to now, but this is where a recount is a waste of time. You're recounting votes that have already been manipulated with. Okay, you're recounting votes that might not be legit to begin with. So, yeah, you're going to hit about the same number. Makes sense, right? 
Now, the problem is, a lot of these votes that they're recounting are votes they came in over the period they were supposed to be stopped counting. They extended counting uh, by a lot. So it gave them a lot a lot of time, basically, after they stopped counting mysteriously, remember? It gave them a lot of time to bring in these ballots, uh, mysterious ballots, all for Joe Biden. So while everybody wanted to sleep with Trump, you know, on his way to winning all these states, the next morning, wait a second, all these mysterious ballots just appeared for Joe Biden out of nowhere. Hundreds and hundreds of ballots, not hundreds, sorry, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of ballots mysteriously just appeared out of out of thin air. All for Sleepy Creepy Joe, who did an amazing job of packing the house in rallies this uh, year with, I think the, the highest number was maybe 25, not 1,000, not 100, no, no, 25 people. That's more or less how many he had in one rally. 15 on another rally. They all had like a little circle with a chair in the middle and a couple of other places. Um, it was a very personal rally. It was a lot of family members were sitting in those circles, I'm sure. Uh, he took no questions. He was just uh, going to podium and looked dazed and confused, almost like he was drugged up. I don't know, maybe that's why Trump you know, said, maybe we should uh, do a drug test before we actually do a debate, because uh, I don't know if Joe Biden is coherent enough to actually do a debate at this moment. So let's uh, maybe drug test him, what do you think? Huh? Well, they weren't going for that, obviously. So since they weren't going for that, what was the next big move? Well, let's see. How about we keep him in the basement the entire summer. And, you know, then when we do come out, we take no questions. We rush right into these things. We have him just give a quick speech and leave. Minimize the damage that he could do on his own. And that's what they went with all year. And, and along the way, you also understand that he was also prepped, conditioned, um, you know, he was uh, taught a lot of the things he has to say. Um, and it's really, really, really just a sad situation uh, what's gone on in the last uh, six months, really eight months, where we've seen an entire campaign of fraud coming from the Democratic side. Uh, this is why uh, Joe Biden said that he doesn't need the, the voters. You know, he needs them after he gets elected because he knew he had it in the bag because it was rigged for him to win. The entire time, the, the, this thing this thing was completely in the bag for him. So, of course, he has no issues with uh, anything because, you know, he's sitting back, relaxed, enjoying his chocolate ice cream with... Nancy Pelosi, and, uh, you know, no worries, man, hey, it's all jiggy with J- with Uncle Joe, right? It's all good, as the saying goes. And that is, uh, you know, part of the, the scam that took place this summer. But when it comes to election, you know, you can scam your, your way into a lot of things. But what you cannot do, folks, what you really cannot do is allow 
these politicians uh, to then extend the conspiracy and do what they've been trying to do here, which is completely get away with rigging an election. And, uh, you know, look, election fraud has happened throughout history in one way or another. We, we're all well aware of that nobody's stupid in this country. I think we all pretty much know that, uh, yeah, corruption has happened. Uh, people have cheated. Um, you know, these things do take place. But as an American society, as a people, we also have to uh, not only acknowledge these facts, but we have to find a way to, like, stop the corruption. And I find it really ironic how President Trump had a, an impeachment over asking the country to weed out corruption. I mean, does anybody have a, a, a mental block about that? Because to me, if you're a sitting president and, you know, you're talking to another world leader for the first time that just won an election and you're telling them, listen, you know, I, I like the fact that you won on a platform of being anti-corruption and my only suggestion is you follow through with it which is basically the nature of that phone call and he told him you might want to look into past administration and what they've done with corruption so you don't fall into the same trap and you can weed out the bad players which again is part of what you want your leader to say you don't want your leaders to say oh yeah you know let's be more corrupt let's be more evil Let's do more damage. Let's do, you know, more of this, more of that. You know, you want them to actually be legit world leaders, and that's what a world leader does. But, of course, the left doesn't want you to believe that. What they want is for you to follow them, the status quo that they set up for you. And what they do is they, you know, make the uh, wrap-up smears. Nancy Pelosi, uh, you know, had a Floridian slip, and, um, and uh, she admitted to Joe Biden admitted to uh, many things, including having the best fraud, election fraud unit that there is. I mean, he said it. It's an audio. You can look it up. But let's listen to Sidney Powell for a second. This is uh, amazing audio, folks. Amazing audio and a bombshell revelation. So take a listen. This, again, is from the the interview that um, they put together, not really an interview, but uh, the, I guess the speech they put together and uh, disclosure of some of the evidence uh, for the media, the press conference, uh, to kind of uh, go over some of the evidence they had to go to, to trial. Why they, they were showing this? Because the mainstream media has failed to show anybody anything. In fact, uh, Kelly McMahon, uh, I was what's your name, uh, She's the uh, press secretary for the president, uh, Kelly McNinney. Anyway, she uh, tried to like talk about some of this evidence on Fox News. Remember, guys, and um, they took her off the air. I mean, if you're not allowed to show the evidence because they don't want you to show your evidence, then there's something definitely deep going on. And this, folks, again, is a deep state. This is what Trump was talking about when he ran to drain the swamp. This is the swamp, folks. Take a listen to this. What we are really dealing with here and uncovering more by the day 
is the massive influence of communist money through Venezuela, Cuba, and likely China in the interference with our elections here in the United States. The Dominion voting systems, the Smartmatic technology software, and the software that goes in other computerized voting systems here as well, not just Dominion, were created in Venezuela at the direction of Hugo Chavez to make sure he never lost an election after one constitutional referendum came out the way he did not want it to come out. We have one very strong witness who has explained how it all works. His affidavit is attached to the pleadings of Lynn Wood in the lawsuit he filed in Georgia. <clears throat> it is a stunning, detailed affidavit because he was with Hugo Chavez while the, he was being briefed on how it worked. He was with Hugo Chavez when he saw it operate to make sure the election came out his way. That was the express purpose for creating this software. He has seen it operate, and as soon as he saw the multiple states shut down the voting at the, on the night of the election, he knew the same thing was happening here, that that was what had gone on. Now, the software itself was created with so many variables and so many back doors that can be hooked up to the Internet or a thumb drive stuck in it or whatever, but one of its most characteristic features is its ability to flip votes. It can set and run an algorithm that probably ran all over the country to take a certain percentage of votes from President Trump and flip them to President Biden, which we might never have uncovered had the votes for President Trump not been so overwhelming in so many of these states that it broke the algorithm. Stop right there. Stop right there. Think about that. This system uh, for the this program Dominion uh, is literally designed by the regime of Hugo Chavez and the reason they created this thing was to flip votes now you have to ask yourself why are we using a machine with a system that has systematically been used to flip votes for a dictator like Hugo Chavez that is funded by the Clinton campaign she was Overseeing an election for the Democratic Party. That's another thing that they don't want to talk about. Not only that, why is she involved? She ran against Trump in 2016. Why is she allowed to be a part of this election at all? I mean, that should raise red flags on itself. And the fact that these ballots have to go to Germany to be counted... I mean, folks, you don't, you don't have to be Bill Nye the Science Guy here to understand what the heck is going on. But the fix is in. I mean, let's be honest. This is a rigged election. It's a, it's a scam on the American public. Uh, it's completely an inside job. I am, you know, personally disgusted by the fact that the media is acting the way they're acting and not wanting to cover the facts of the matter and leave the American people without the president that they overwhelmingly voted for. I mean, you know, when you get from 62 million to 70 million votes and your follow-up election, everybody in your party does well, but you lose 
and we know you brought out the votes, and the other guy wins, and his party doesn't do that well? I mean, folks, I was born, but not yesterday. We, the people, are not stupid. I mean, some of us might be. I'm not, you know, saying that we have uh, 100% of bright Americans. There's definitely a lot of dummies walking around. Maybe that's what a D really stands for. It's not Democrat, but maybe dummy. Because if you buy that lie, that all of a sudden, these heavy democratically ran cities shut down for no reason, and then all of a sudden, miraculously, they had hundreds of thousands of ballots show up in each one of these places for Joe Biden. A A miracle. I mean, only a miracle could elect Joe Biden. Apparently a miracle happened. But instead of stopping the count when they should have, the miracle was allowed to happen because they kept going in the middle of the night when they told everybody they had stopped. We have, uh, you know, uh, Giuliani who spoke about this in part of the presentation he put together for the press where he's talking about some of the evidence of some of the people that have come forward saying that when they had stopped the count, uh, they have people bringing in ballots overnight, and they were still counting. People have sworn affidavits on this, folks. So this is not Rudy Giuliani making it up. This is not Sidney Powell making it up. I'm not making it up. The news media are covering it up because it doesn't fit their narrative or their agenda, which is to, again, go with a social Democrat president because it furthers their progressive agenda it furthers the Green New Deal it furthers socialism in America, it furthers the end of the the real democracy and the republic for which we stand okay, I'm agnostic but we do stand one nation under God, whatever that God might be that's open to your own personal interpretation. That's your freedom. And they're coming for that also. They don't want you to practice your own religion. They don't want you to practice freedom of speech. Uh, I heard somebody say earlier that um, some cop, because he was a racist, should be killed. And I, you know, I, while I hate racism and I condemn racists, I condemn Nazis, I condemn the, the white supremacy people, I mean... Hell, uh, to hell with all of them. But in this country, in a free society, you have the freedom to express yourself however you want. As people in positions to hire and fire in, in you know public sectors or even government sectors, it's not your duty to say, okay, we're going to vet the person before they are hired. And if they have a an actual racist past and it, it goes against our agenda of who we hire, and fire, that's different. So if a police uh, unit somewhere doesn't want to hire, a police station doesn't want to hire somebody because they have a, a known history of racism, I accept that. But to kill somebody or put them in prison for life because their ideology is different than yours, that is socialism to the max. That's communism, folks. And I left Cuba as a little kid uh, with my mother uh, because of the fact that we wanted to get away from that kind of ideology. We wanted the freedoms that this country has uh, for all of us that are American citizens. I am an American citizen. I'm very proud of that. I want to keep the Constitution. I want to keep the freedoms that we have. 
uh, because this is the only land in the world that allows you to have that kind of ideology, the kind of freedom of thought, and not get put in prison for it. In many other countries, if you say anything against the government, you're going to jail. My cousin uh, Nelson Moline Espino faced 20 years in Cuban prison for a hunger strike. And the hunger strike was against the worker treatment in Cuba of teachers, doctors, and people that you know were being mistreated by the Castro regime. And he faced years in jail. He actually did almost uh, a decade in prison before we were able to get him out. And uh, he was facing 20 years in the Castro prison. Think about that. That's not a, That's a step below Guantanamo Bay. If you think Guantanamo Bay is bad, Cuban jail is really, really tough. And he was in there with real murderers, killers, rapists, and all kinds of evildoers. And somehow he survived. He got out of there. And he's not doing too well on the head these days because that kind of uh, thing takes its toll on you. And uh, it wasn't a, a pleasant time for him. But, folks, this is where that kind of uh, communist ideology leads to. For all my friends within the entertainment business or the sports world who think, oh, well, you know, it'll be great. You know, it'll it'll ha- it'll be an uh, even playing field for everybody. Think Venezuela, think Cuba. It only sounds nice on the surface, but the reality, reality of it, it's not pleasant at all. It, in fact, it leads to poverty. It leads to global... Uh, suicide at a massive scale if you do this globally it'll lead to and you know people being more poor on a massive scale than they are now uh you know what we need is people that are philanthropists and people that are in position as billionaires to put their money where their mouth is and help other countries with their own money if you have 40 billion dollars give a couple billion to haiti and help rebuild you know, the Clinton Foundation was supposed to do that, and they didn't do that. They screwed Haitians out of money for for years. That's how she made a lot of money. Sean Penn went down there, you know, saying he was going to help the Haitians. They didn't do anything. They, they got rich. Well, the Haitians starve, eating dirt cookies. Guys, they eat dirt cookies. I'm not making that up. Cookies made out of dirt. Okay? What they do is they bring literally rocks and dirts uh, dirt in bags from uh, places where they've been bombed and, and all kinds of atrocities have happened and they break them apart and they make a food substance out of that. It's uh, it's where they've been eating dirt. Why wasn't Hillary Clinton helping them out when she was supposed to be there? You know, she spent the last four years complaining about Trump and this and Trump and that and when the Hillary, you know, fund was supposed to be helping Haitians, she was getting rich off of it. And all she's done is complain for four years about how she didn't win. And now she's apparently behind helping Joe Biden win. And even some of the mainstream media is trying to put a little bit of a dark shadow over Joe Biden, which leads me to believe that they're in on maybe uh, getting him ousted in the next year. So they could have Kamala Harris, uh, who is an even bigger puppet, jump in the seat. Because we know Sleepy Joe, at his age, pushing 80, might not be available mentally to be checked in all the time. Remember, even when he was primetime Joe, he was still very, very slow. 
and he admitted to it himself he, he wasn't the smartest cookie in the uh, in the jar and uh, that's after he got caught lying saying he was smarter than everybody in his college remember that Joe uh, remember when he lied about uh, let's see being not only number one in his class but he lied about his uh, crime bill reform being helpful and actually hurt the black community uh, it targeted minorities uh, when it, you know Obamacare rolled around he was all for it he has said many racist things in the past uh, he's done nothing but hurt the American people all American people and after 47 years all of a sudden now he wants to jump in as president and fix it the only reason he's trying to do that, guys, is because he doesn't want to be convicted of his crimes. And there's plenty of them from the quick pro-Joe in Ukraine to the whole Hunter Biden scandal with the laptops, possible human trafficking. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But I want to get to the second clip with Sidney Powell before I go on break here in 10 minutes. Uh, this is, again, bombshell revelation, folks. And... Uh, I cut the last clip short because I wanted you to really pay attention to this minute-long clip. Please pay close attention to City Powell right here. This is uh, the most bombshell part of the Which we might thing. never have uncovered had the votes for President Trump not been so overwhelming in so many of these states that it broke the algorithm that had been plugged into the system. And that's what caused them to have to shut down in the states they shut down in. That's when they came in the back door with all the mail-in mail -in ballots, many of which they had actually fabricated. Some were on pristine paper with identically matching uh, perfect circle dots for Mr. Biden. Others were shoved in in batches. They're always put in in a certain number of batches, and people would rerun the same batch. This corresponds to our statistical evidence that shows incredible spikes in the vote counts at particular times, and that corresponds to eyewitness testimony of numerous people who have come forward and said they saw the ballots come in the back door at that time. <laughs> more, more, what, more proof? Do you, do you need more evidence? Uh, uh, I mean, how much, uh, how much more do we need to to see what's been going on here, folks? So we we've been lied to by these people, and. I don't know about you, but I am insulted when somebody who is, uh, you know, doing these things uh, lied to me. I mean, now I don't know if my own vote counted. And that's a dangerous moment in, in this country where we don't even know if our votes counted, folks. Think about that. Do you know? For all you know, you went to bed, you, you voted for uh, Trump, or maybe Joe. We don't know, you know, who's rigging what, who's doing what, where, when, and why now. Okay, do you are you sure that the person you voted for actually got your vote? I mean, it's bizarre behavior to think that we're at a position in a place in our society where we don't even know what the heck is going on. I mean, have we really uh, fallen off that far off the deep end where? Uh, you know, we're trusting enemies like Venezuela and uh, their, you know, their uh, machines that were made to flip elections to be the ones that, that dominate our election and not only do so, but in a number that really makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. 
and then have these things counted in Germany. The only reason that they were able to even uh, put this together again is because of the overwhelming people that showed up and wanted to vote for the president. I mean, they had a huge record turnout. Remember, guys, for a long time, we were talking about uh, this being a red wave. Remember that? You know, that that was uh, a lot of the uh, the, the chatter um, for you know the election. It was red wave. It's coming, and and you know we all knew that the date of voting is normally when Republicans voted. I mean, that's always been like kind of historical uh, the way that's happened. So a lot of people were expecting that red wave, and sure enough, it hit. Republicans had a huge turnout. Again, we did really well in the Senate. We did, you know, they did really well. I don't I say we, but I'm not really even a Republican. I just I voted Republican this time, uh, but I'm independent. I not in either party, but I do, you know, affiliate with what happened here with uh, the Republicans, and I sympathize with them because I am seeing for myself. What exactly has taken place here over the last year? The violence has come directly from uh, Democrat-ran cities uh, with Democrat mayors and governors who have allowed it to happen. And, you know, it's one thing when, uh, you know, something happens in a city and it's centralized to that one place and you're like, okay, well, you know, something bad happened here and, you know, we took care of it. The government came in, and they were able to help. But when you have mayors and you have people involved who are telling the cops, "Listen, don't do your job, okay? Leave this one alone," that in itself should raise major red flags. The fact that it it didn't while it was happening, or maybe it did, but maybe I'm I'm being naive and thinking that you know it didn't. Uh, I personally really think it did, but uh, the the left just didn't want to speak on it. Why? Because it didn't fit their agenda. It didn't fit the narrative to talk about the facts. Fact is, they they lied, and they and you know they they stopped police from doing uh, their job, which again that's a big no no, guys. Uh, you don't just stop police officers from doing their civic duty, from doing their job. Uh, but they did that. We know that for a fact that was done. They didn't allow the you know the president to uh, bring in the troops that were going to stop what was happening, to stop literally the crime that was happening on the street. And I'm talking about, you know, CHOP up in Seattle, I'm talking about you know, the countless riots that were happening in places like Chicago, like we had here in Florida, uh, which didn't get as bad here in Florida because we're, we're as bad as we are. Um, a lot of us saw this as what it was, and we were like, yeah, no, we're not falling for that. We've, we've uh, seen through the baloney. And what did you have here in Florida? A record number of Latinos, you know, Hispanic and black, uh, minorities uh, came out and voted for Trump. Uh, why? Because, you know, we, we saw through the BS and through the baloney, and guess what? Wasn't convincing any of us. So we did the right thing, and we voted for the president. We voted for Donald Trump, and uh, it's something that I think a lot of Americans did on a, on a wide scale, because, I mean, if you just are a rational person, 
and you look at Biden speak, I mean, there's no way he could be president, guys. I mean, he speaks in gibberish sometimes. He's not somebody you could take and you could have faith in that he's going to go to another country and sit down with the world leader and actually discuss politics. For one, we know it's not safe because, the you know, he is uh, sold out. You know, we know that much. And uh, we know that, yeah, well, you know, you can't really take him at his word because he lies a lot. We know that much. I mean, Jesus, do we need any more proof of that? He's been proving that on a, on a nightly basis every time he's uh, he's seen anywhere, which happens periodically because, again, he wasn't saying much anywhere because he knows better. Uh, but it's pretty obvious what, you know, what had been going on. Uh, and, again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a nuclear physicist or anybody with any other, uh, you know, political power to sniff through the uh, the nonsense here and understand exactly what had been going on. Uh, so, guys, you know, you know, put your thinking caps on, and don't be fooled by the left wing media. Don't be fooled by CNN. Don't be fooled by NBC, MSNBC, Rachel Madcow's of the world, Anderson Pooper Scoopers, Don Lemonheads, all these the narcissists on the left. We're feeding you nothing but misinformation and lies on a nightly basis. The big difference between them and myself is they have a budget. They have a huge budget. And they have, you know, donator money and they have a whole bunch of things that their resources, which we don't have here on the network. Uh, we're, we're, you know, a true blue-collar radio network and we do this on the grind. And uh, with that said, I'm going to take a commercial break even though it's not really paying ads, but it, it gives me time to connect to my guest, Dr. Uh, Mike Murrow, who's going to be with me in a little bit. And um, it also gives me time to reflect on the next part of the show for a couple minutes before I get into that kind of chapter in my head. But with that said, guys, I also want you uh, to check out my Patreon page. Make sure you go there and uh, check out Angel Espino on patreon.com forward slash Angela Spino, and please donate two, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, whatever you want to give you a hundred. Love you if you can do that. Uh, any anything uh, that you can helps. If you want to uh, be, if you want to be on a network and you need a producer, it's uh, also on there as one of the tiers. If you just want to be an angel investor, you can do that just by becoming a Patreon and not expecting to do a show or anything. Just we uh, we love having angel investors donate as much as you need or want or feel that you can. Uh, but it helps keep the network going, it helps uh, me keep the shows going, and it helps in the overall aspect of uh, what we're facing in an uncertain future. Again, patreon.com forward slash Angel Espino. You can also see it up on my website, angelespino.com. Right on the right-hand side, tab right on the top that says Patreon. Click on that, it'll take you right to the page. And again, every dollar helps even two, five, ten, whatever you guys could give. It, it's really greatly appreciated. Uh, again, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. You're going to see the, the uh, American flag here on the screen. When we come back, we're going to have our guest on, and we are going to be live on the network for the next hour, uninterrupted, on Inside the Jackal's Head. So please stick around. More show to come. 
All right, everybody, welcome back to the big show here inside the Jackal's Head live again once more on PSN-Radio.com, Sofla Radio, and, of course, the Global Enlightenment Radio Network. And as usual, you know you got me live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. Dr. Merle, we're all over the place, sir. I want to welcome uh, the uh, guest of the uh, second hour here with me, Dr. Mike Merle. Thank you so much for spending the evening with me. And, uh, you know, it's uh, great to see that you're doing well, considering uh, the pandemic that we're all facing and looking healthy and uh, ready to go here tonight. Thank you so much again for being with us. The pleasure, believe me, is all ours. <laughs> but, you know, I gave kind of a brief synopsis of your background, and it's always good to hear it from the host, but it's better to hear it from the guest, um, you know, yourself. Uh, being a doctor and dealing with reality, which is something that I think all of us right now are kind of like seeing firsthand and facing the real reality of, uh, you know, what's been uh, hidden from us and from our visual for a long time here in this, not only country, but in the world. Uh, a lot of people are opening their eyes. Uh, I mean, how do you deal with uh, some of the stuff that you've seen over the last, uh, you know, eight, nine months? My my role is really as a as a an assistant to people who are trying to work through really complicated issues in their own lives. And and it our philosophy is that reality for each person is interpreted. There, of course, is an absolute reality of how molecules work and what's happening in the universe. But but our minds are designed to take in information and to create a an understanding of what is real and our part in it. For some people, at times in their lives, that becomes very complicated. It's as if a ball of yarn has been gotten into by the cats, and it's all tangled, and it's knotted up, and several different skeins of yarn have all been tangled together, and it becomes extremely difficult, very stressful, to sort that out in a person's own journey. So when they come for anything from a, a, a clinical counseling session to a cup of coffee or standing in a grocery store aisle and want to talk about what they're feeling and what they're thinking and how it's affecting them, uh, that, that's really what I do. The, the larger, uh, gigantic scenes, there's not really much I can do about that, even if I'm passionate. Uh, I'm not going to be able to change some of those things. I, I may observe them, but my observations are going to be limited. Right. But ultimately, the stress that I feel or others feel in the immediate situation really has to do with my family or my job or my neighborhood, uh, myself within that context. That's really what I work on. Which that I think every American citizen would agree that's number one, you know, dealing with uh, your own personal reality, your own personal family, and uh, putting that, you know, first more than anything else. Uh, now, you were a pastor for a long time, uh, you know, not to uh, age you or date you here publicly or anything, but, uh, you know, for oh, for a long, long time, you, you were a pastor. And, you know, how do you put that together with the work you're doing currently? <laughs> you put that in the past tense. I'm still a pastor. <laughs> no, I know. For, I know. 40, I just, 40, yeah, that, well, I've been a pastor of a local church for 45 years in the same, in the same community. But I'm not the kind of pastor that sits in my office and waits for people to come by and I can hold their hand and have a little prayer with them. I'm right. very intentional 
very aggressive person to make things happen. And so I have been an author for uh, probably 35 years, owned a publishing company. I've taught at a college level, uh, the New Testament Greek, Bible courses, counseling courses, youth ministries. I was the national director of youth ministries for a denomination uh, for 10 years and ran programs for thousands and thousands of kids with tremendous staff. I've traveled all over the world teaching. Uh, my local church, part of my doctorate, is a, it's a doctor of ministry degree, mm-hmm. and, I, and I developed a concept at really from 10 years of listening to people that the way in which they processed emotions was the many, many, many words we use can be boiled down to five basic emotional systems. Once I understood the five emotional systems, it was easy to provide some some footholds for people or some handholds so they could really get a, a, a handle on what was going on in their own lives and we would get somewhere meaningful in terms of counseling. So part of my doctoral program was to train 30 people how to do what I did in what I called coffee cup counseling. You have a cup of coffee, you're sitting down with a friend, and instead of commiserating or just uh, bemoaning some terrible situation, they were uh, those individuals were able to really provide some guidance. They were one step ahead of what was going on in the conversation and really knew how to help people work towards resolution. So my counseling load dropped significantly to <laughs> near zero oh, wow. because we had 30 people that were doing that. Mm. Uh, and that has continued. Those folks have done that. So I've continued to be able to write and to train and to travel and do those things while I'm still a local pastor. Oh, that's very that's very interesting. Um, I didn't mean, uh, mean to uh, you know make it seem like you weren't a pastor anymore. I was just trying to be gentle <laughs> with the uh, the time you've been a pastor because I'm only 42. So you know I don't want to be insulting. <laughs> yes, but uh, no, that's, that's fine. But that's a, that's an amazing uh, life's work uh, that you've had, and uh, definitely something that that should be applauded. I mean, you you've definitely it sounds like you've helped out many many people find the right path in their life. Uh, which is an important thing as a part of your own life, I could tell, uh, to be helpful to others. I call that help, you know, paying the forward uh, because you learned yourself, you know, what the right path was. And instead of just keeping a bottle up to yourself and your family, you decided to share, you know, your knowledge and wisdom with the rest of the world, which is that's a beautiful thing. I, you know, I wish that more people actually would do that when they find a path that is a good, genuine, family-oriented righteous path no matter what your religious background is that that does that doesn't matter really it's you know finding the correct path and finding an honest way and and a beautiful way to whatever your creator is uh and i respect all religions i have no um you know detraction on anybody's faith or anybody's religion or anything like that uh i myself grew up jehovah's witness so go figure Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I understand the inner workings of, of uh, some of the way the churches work and stuff and, and value a lot of the ideology that some of the differences sure. are. Because at the end of the day, we all worship the same God. You know, it's all, you know, go, goes back to, you know, the same de- de- deity or wh- whatever it is, uh, Pastor Merrill, that is out there. We, 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 you know, we, we all think we have the answer, but, you know, we, we all at the end of the day are speculating. Uh, but to do right and righteous, that's godliness in a sense. 
It, it is. I think one of the I have a colleague on the West Coast who wasn't able to join us tonight, but we do a, a significant amount of training. We do writing together. We do colleges. We go into business situations. Uh, we work ac- across many different uh, genres of of people who are engaged in in uh, relationships and in objectives. And so we do a lot of training a- across the board. But um, his name is also Mike. I yeah. spell Mike with a Y, <laughs> and he spells his name with an I. I almost butchered that, by the way, because of the difference yeah, of the spelling. He, uh, look, I got it right. I was like, it has to be Mike. No, we're but yeah, we're both Mike. I'm East Coast Mike, and he's West Coast Mike. Gotcha. We have a podcast. We have a podcast we call Gripping Reality. Yep. And the concept is when life is really uh, difficult, and one is facing challenges that they don't quite know how to resolve. Sometimes it's extremely hard to take ownership of that. You want somebody else to be at fault. You want to blame another uh, source or some other kind of uh, power outside for the tangles in your own life. And gripping yeah. reality really has to do with getting a hold of things that belong to you, and then you can do something with it. So that's what we, yeah. we really key in on doing that. But one of, the, one of the aspects or dynamics that we have observed is what we call capacity. There are people who have very limited capacity, and there are people who have extremely expansive capacity. Mm -hmm. Neither one is automatically good or bad. It just is a factor. So uh, uh, a young child who's uh, seven years old will have a certain number of friends, and they have a, a command of so many words, and they have a certain amount of time that they're alert and awake. Right. And those are capacities. So if you say to a child, what I want you to do is clean the entire house and our neighbor's house, mow the lawn, wash the car, um, <laughs> put a new roof on the garage uh, today. The, the capacity of the child to do that is so limited that those things actually are not possible. Right. Now, as the child grows and becomes a very skilled workman, their capacities change and they may be able to do all those things that I mentioned in an afternoon. So the issue is not the task at hand, nor is it the capacity of the person at hand, but it's really matching the task to the capacity. So there are people who do pass on very good things, and the capacity that they have is their family or their neighbor on the left and right of them, or maybe a small group in their church or synagogue or in their, their community of some basis. And my capacity at the stage I am, is different. When I was a father of young children, my capacity to do things outside uh, a very limited environment was restricted. But as my children, now they're all adults, uh, they're all married, I have 13 grandchildren, I can mess them all up, give them a lot of (laughs) Halloween candy and send them home. And the reality is that, that my capacities have shifted and changed but it's not necessarily better or worse than it was. It just is. The question then right. for me is, am I living to my capacities, not someone else's, but to my capacities with what I have been gifted with? That's always the question that I'm asking. That's an excellent way of looking at it. It's a capacity and it's also repetition in life. The more you do something, the, the easier it becomes. Uh, and it's easier to understand. And I think that's something that... Uh, gets lost in, in the shuffle also when you're dealing with especially kids um, you know the capacity is low because they haven't experienced life 
and as the more you experience life, it, the capacity grows. That's is exactly that, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. And yeah. for you, for you, when you began doing podcasts, mm-hmm. the first time you worked the buttons and pulled the switches and made sure it, it was incredibly taxing. It was a nightmare. <laughs> but now, after 150 or 200 or whatever number of podcasts, the facility you have is you're still sliding the slides, you're still pushing the buttons, but it's so easy for you to do because your capacities have increased with practice. So you're able to do more. A novice comes in and sits down next to you. They're going to be overwhelmed. When they go home, they're going to be utterly exhausted. You're going to be energized because your capacities are different. So it's understanding that role of capacity as well as task at hand and, and living within that. One of the, one of the philosophies that is popular and it's been repeated to me um, many, many times from the things that I do is um, you give a man a fish and feed him for a day and you teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime. I've thought about that for a long, long time. And I came up with a third step that most people simply never think of. Give a man a fish, feed him for one day. Teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Teach a man how to teach fishing, you feed a community forever. And the issue is not just give somebody a skill or a piece of knowledge, but if you can train them how to train others with what they've learned, then then the original trainer can be gone, but the training continues and it multiplies. Now we're not just adding, now we're multiplying. Yeah. And that becomes that third step. Most people don't even imagine. I'm going to teach that person, that man, that woman, that child, that community, that group. I'm going to teach them how to teach what I taught them. And if I can successfully accomplish that step, I can back out of the picture and they can take it from there. We started a school in Honduras. Uh, uh, we started working with a school that failed and the parents asked me if I could stay because I had an advanced degree and I was a North American. I walked into the ministry of education in that, uh, that, uh, state in, in Honduras. And I said, I would like to start a school in Morrison in, in the Departamento of, um, Yoro. And they said, uh, sure. Do you have qualifications? And I told them, yeah, I have a master's degree and I'm working on my doctorate. And they said, fine. Um, 2000 Lempira, and you can have a temporary license. There's not a Honduran that could have done that. But as an American with a, an advanced degree, I just walked in. They gave me a two-year license for 2000 Lempira, which is $100, and, uh, and we started school. So now I just heard because the two hurricanes came blowing by, Ada and Yoda, came blowing by Nicaragua and Honduras, right in line with our school in Morsan. Um, I contacted our staff down there, and they said they had some damage a little bit. Not, it's not really as overwhelming as has been reported in the news. And uh, But my director, Olga Rayana, said, we have 180 students in our school. We're graduating 45 this year, and uh, it's a record for our school. We are doing extremely well. I have no involvement anymore. I'm not directing. I'm not teaching. I'm not funding. It's all done by Hondurans 
for Hondurans within Honduras, and that's the way we set it up. They're not dependent on us. I not only taught them how to to teach, I taught them how to teach teaching, and now they can take it from here and forever they'll be able to do it. Which is a brilliant ideology and way of thinking moving forward for society. Uh, that's beautiful to hear that outcome uh, for for the school. I mean, that's in in lines with that, that's Jesus right there. I mean, that's the Jesus ideology. And funny you knew, use the 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 slogan of a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter and a fisherman, and you know yep. this follows along the the teachings. Uh, which is not only bring a person to a fish and feed them a fish, but show them how to fish. But you want a step further, which uh, is uh, you know right up there with again paying it forward and being uh, somebody that makes a difference in other people's lives. Uh, which, exactly. Yeah, which is again all leading back to the road of uh, of being good with thy neighbor. It's it's all part of the the global you know plan of being one. Because we all are one people, and uh, you have to look at it as that. And uh, the, the one thing I hate, uh, Doctor Merrill, is uh, I hate when you know we're, we're classified as races or different individuals, different class of people. Uh, you know, we're all human beings. At the end of the day, we're all facing the same troubles and tribulations. We're all facing the same kind of uh, questions. Are we alone? You know, are we going to have a roof all over our, over our heads? Can we feed our children? Can we, you know, make sure that they're safe? Uh, could we send them to a safe school, safe environment? Could they be taught properly? Could they even have a meal uh, at night? I mean, these are questions that are you know, not only Americans are facing, but people worldwide are facing. And we're yes, still we're boggled on in endless wars and nonsense, which keep us, you know, entertained and, and preoccupied with helping the people that really need help. And that is the biggest, you know, fraud in humanity. And it's being conducted on a century, two century wide scale, maybe even further, maybe, you know, thousand years that's been going on. Who knows? By people that are in power, that are, have kept people in poverty uh, because it's a, it's a machine that feeds uh, certain classifications on the, on the globe and they feed off of the, uh, the profit and the power that they get from the, these countries that are failing. And uh, to have people go in there and show the people the right way is always, you know, the, I think, the, the moral compass that we all need more and more as people. Because, again, we're not individuals. We're all one race. We're all one people. We're all one blood. It doesn't matter what color you are. It's all the same spectrum. It's just, a, you know, different color on the rainbow. That's true. That's a good insight. Yeah. Uh, now, going further, when you decided to uh, start writing books on this, did you get... Any like pushback from like the church or anybody when you started putting more and more of this stuff uh, out there publicly? Not really, because when I when I came to, I live in a small town called Hilton, which is northwest of Rochester, New York. I came here because I felt called to this community, mm. and uh, I don't feel like I've been released from that call. Uh, my objective was to change the world from the shores of a very tiny little town. If it can be done here, it can be done anywhere. Hmm. And so from day one, when I came to the first church in this town that I was assigned to, we had about 27 people total in the church. 27 human beings comprised the entire church. It had gone through a failure from about 120 people attending to around 20, a little bit over 20. And so my wife and I came, we had a, a son, we had brought a, 
uh, foster girl with us who was 16 at the time. She's been our daughter for 55, 45 years now. And um, uh, we came into this town to transform the church, to reach the community through the church to which we were assigned. That was, we didn't come to serve the church and take care of their needs and change our light bulbs and mow their grass and, and preach sermons to them. Uh, we came to reach a community through the church. So we taught people how to be sensitive to their own neighbors. We had, I came from a tradition that had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, extra meetings, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, on and on and on and on. And the people were constantly leaving their homes, driving away and going to church, going to church, going to church, going to church. We finally ended about 80% of what we were doing. Instead of building our programs, we cut them back <sighs> because I wanted the folks in my church to be able to have a barbecue on a Wednesday night or a Friday night and invite their neighbors over to have some good ribs and talk to their neighbors, get to know who they are, mm -hmm. not be racing out the door constantly for another church program. And so what we did was we reduced the load and we equipped people differently to be invested in their community um, as responsible people, as believers and as, as uh, folks who not only knew what was right to do, but how to be able to impart what was right to do. So we, we did that, and that took probably 10 years. And then as a church, we started a school, and uh, it developed, and it started out with one or two classes. Now, when our, our church moved into an independent situation, we bought a building right in the center of our village. We have a wraparound children's program. We start at 6 a.m., we go to 6 p.m. We deal with all kinds of fat families across every family structure. Every faith basis, our school is clearly a Christian school from our church. Uh, we don't jam that down children's throats. It's not a function of, of the, the curriculum, so to speak. Um, there's a link between what happens with our kids program and what happens at church, and people are free to move in and out, up and down, back and forth. What we do is support them in their discovery process, but we've equipped all of our teachers. We equip parents. We do training. Uh, across the board to be able to have impact in our town. From the very beginning, when I was a young pastor in 1980, I began taking things that I was learning when I was, when I was, uh, when I would did a youth program or a sermon series or uh, did skits in our church, and and I wrote them into books. And if I had an opportunity to go train or if I was doing a youth camp or something like that, my church was fully behind that. So from the very beginning, as new people came to be a part of our congregation, it was not that I would be sitting around 52 weeks a year waiting for somebody to drop in the door so I could have a conversation with them. I was active and engaged and involved in writing and using my skills and talents uh, as creatively as I could. And so was everybody else in the church. They were using their talents and their skills as well as they could within the environments that that they were working. So, so the real key in the process was we became a community that was outwardly oriented instead of a community that was inwardly oriented. And that has been true for all 40 years that I've been here and the years prior to that. Um, I've never been a sit around and wait for people to show up kind of person. Uh, so, <laughs> so for me to write books and go train and be doing interviews, that's, I mean, that's just normal. That's just the way we live. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I can't just sit still and uh, just wait for uh, people to drop things on my lap that might change my mindset or the world or 
or the way I, I see things. I like to go and research for myself. Now, I, I you Good know, the, the book uh, that you and, and the other uh, Dr. Mike uh, wrote together, uh, it, it's interesting. The website, again, is whydopeopleactthatway.com, where they can find uh, the book and uh, they can find more information on you. But uh, the book is interesting because, you know, you look at people the way they do act and you're like, my goodness, you know, this is a, a split uh, within, uh, you know, the, the ideology of so many people, which when you start looking at it as, as a psychologist in a psychological way, uh, in, you know, you forget about the spiritual aspect or you forget about the religious aspect of it, uh, but then you start looking at more of the mental aspect of what's happening in the world. And it seems like, uh, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems that with the furthering of technology and science, uh, we've also seen an uptick on mental illness, and a lot of that has to do with medication that people are getting, and I think that's part of the reason why we're losing so many people to radicalism and ideologies that are bent for evil, uh, because they're easily manipulated, and they're, you know, people that are already, you know, they've come down with a mental illness, so to be able to indoctrinate some people, or it's very, very simple. Would you agree with with that? Well, th that takes in a portion mm -hmm. of what our research and what our what our uh, the training that we do. The book is has actually got a main title and it's also got a subtitle, and both of those questions are are vital questions for. Uh, myself to wrestle with and as we teach others for them to wrestle with mm -hmm. as well. The title of the book is Why Do People Act That Way? And the second question is in parentheses, and what can I do about it? Uh, the, the, the encounter, the friction, the rub, the pleasure, the delight, the stress of being in relationships with other people, some of whom... You have lifelong connections, and some are persons you pass on the road, and you have a, a quarter of a second uh, near pass by, and that's it. They they don't even notice you, but they zip on by. So the <laughs> yeah. the strength, the 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 depth of relationships can be momentary. Somebody you're talking to in a checkout line to somebody you're related to for 50 years, mm -hmm. and so the. They asking the question, why do they act that way? Why did somebody do what they did? Why did they think the way they think? Why did they say what they said? Or conversely, why did they not say something? Why did they not act? Right. We, so we look at, at both sides of that. So so some of that is psychological or emotional. There we teach that there are four complexes in the way human beings understand reality and their part in it. Perceptions which is all of our senses, there are 10 of those. The emotional systems, we teach that there are five of those. Motivations, we teach that there are five basic drivers. And then behavior is two different uh, uh, outlays, two different pathways, right. either to act or to disengage action. And both of those are a choice. So when uh, a person is faced with an opportunity, you're walking along, you see somebody drop a $20 bill out of the back of their purse or their pocket, you stop and pick it up. Do you say something or do you choose not to say something? 
And that becomes a very clear choice as to am I engaged here or am I disengaged here? And so we teach behavior in those two pathways, and that helps really open up a lot of conversation. But yeah. the perceptions that interact with our emotions, that interact with our motivations, that interact with our behaviors, <laughs> and that, again, interacts with our perceptions, so it actually becomes this gigantic interactive pool. We can talk about the special aspects of that, but they really are interconnected. Correct. It's the way our yep. bodies work. We can talk about our heart and we can talk about our lungs. Yes. But our heart and our lungs are actually <laughs> dynamically attached to each other yeah, yeah. and our kidneys and our nervous system and our hair follicles and our skin and our skeleton. They actually become truly interactive systems, though we can talk about the skeletal system it is not independent from every other system in our body. Right. We can talk about our emotions, but that is not independent from our perceptions. And it's not independent from our motivations. So those things all change. We teach the dynamic that is involved in all four of those interacting. So we're not really psychologists. We're not really anthropologists. We're not really sociologists. We're not really behavioral therapists. We're not really ear, nose, and throat doctors. We're really not morticians. Uh, we're kind of all of it. We're, we draw from every aspect of birth, life, death, spirit, tangible, scientific, non-scientific, normal, abnormal, we, paranormal. We, we deal with everything and bring it into that context of what is this doing to me and what am I going to do with it? And that those become the operative questions. Then we, the world situation, it's either going to fix itself or it's not. Yeah, I know. But the individual, yeah. the individual situation, that's really where our work is is targeted, is along the individual or the individual's sphere, their family, their business, their workplace, their neighborhood, the people that they know, their church, their synagogue, their their Boy Scout troop, their Rotary Club. The, 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 the reality is if we can help people succeed in those environments, they will interpret their life as successful. Yeah, no, that's very, that's very that's true. That's what we do. That's very, very true. And uh, again, for anybody who's thinking, well, what does it mean by perception, emotions? Well, perception, your vision, your hearing, smell, taste, touch, balance, your position, your memory, imagination, the psyche. I mean, all these are part of your perception. Um, these are the elements that make up your yes. perception. Yeah. I'm, glad you I'm glad you mentioned that list. Most people, when we talk about perception, say, oh, yeah, I know the five senses of right. perception. <laughs> so, you know, five senses. Sight, sound, taste, smell, touch. I right. know those. And they say, well, there's five more. You've just missed five of them. And, uh, and people say, well, what else is there? I mean, that's like how you perceive the world. Yeah. Well, your vestibular sense, which is your inner ear, gives you a sense of, of balance. And here's how important that is. If you get a cold, a runny nose, only in one nostril that affects one ear, and you're dizzy as a result, you can't drive, you can't think, you can't clean the house, you don't right. want to get out of bed because the world is spinning but only half of it is spinning. So the vestibular sense, if, if I'm talking with a teenager and the teenager is slumped over, visually they're not erect, 
they're right. tipped over about 15 degrees. I suspect something is going on that the balance point of that person to whom I'm speaking is off. The registry is off. That's going to skew the way they see reality and react to it because their vestibular system is out of balance. Proprioceptive is where your skeleton tells you are in space. It has to do with inertia and distance. And am I sitting upright? Am I? Did I lift my foot high enough to get up to the next step? So as a person ages or when they're very young, they may trip on steps right. frequently to yes. the point of falling down <laughs> because they don't know where their foot is in space. You say, what's wrong with them? They can't <laughs> lift their foot. I mean, just pick your foot up. But the reality is their skeleton is saying to them, you picked your foot up far enough, but we lied to you. You really didn't. Right. And so the proprioceptive is a vital sense for our skeleton telling us where we are in space. Then we include also memory. You're in a studio. I have never been in that studio. I've seen some video. I got the chance to look over your shoulder. I saw some posters on the wall. But I have no memory of that location. You could turn all the – the power could fail, go completely dark. You are in a territory, your your memory tells you where things are, and you can perceive them, unless somebody's come in and moved all the furniture around, you can get around quite well based on your memory. Right. That said, I can create a mental studio in my mind that has equipment and pieces that I want. I could eventually build that even though it has never existed. So my imagination is a sense, and we made the 10th one the psyche or the soul to be able to perceive the spiritual realm. I've met people who have challenged me on this and said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of that stuff. and just a bunch of baloney. <laughs> and I said, you know, I have a Christmas vest. It's very bright red. And I said to a friend of mine, do you like my Christmas vest? And he said, Meh, yeah, it's okay. And I said, why do you say it that way? He goes, well, it's just the same color as everything else, kind of gray. I said, what do you mean kind of gray? And he said, it's just like everything else. I said, are you colorblind? And he goes, well, actually, I am. I said, so you can't see red? He goes, no. I mean, I don't even know what red is. Tell me what red is. Prove to me that red exists. I said, well, t take my word for it. I mean, I've experienced red <laughs> and green and blue and plaid and yellow. I mean, I can see all those colors. No, nah, everything's gray to me. I don't see any of that at all. They, so it doesn't exist. Right. It does exist. You just can't <laughs> perceive it. Yeah. So the soul picks up the spiritual realm that the science part of our minds and bodies won't pick up. And so, so the psyche is our 10th sense of perception by which we can – sense reality and our place in that reality so we deal with all 10 senses and this is why a lot of people have an issue with paranormal and afterlife and and the possibility of us going somewhere after we pass away and there's so many deniers because they can't perceive in their mind because they're not balanced properly to understand that you know there's more to life than this and they they block themselves i think in in one way or another which is a crying shame 
Uh, you know, I learned years ago from doing martial arts, and I know you saw me on video, and I don't look like a martial artist, I understand. Uh, I'm not Steven Seagal or Jean-Claude Van Damme over here, but I studied martial arts for about 9, 10 years, and I understand the whole concept of having proper balance within the mind. Yep. And that's something that it's uh, taught And so uh, in heavily. martial arts, absolutely yeah. vestibular, the balance, and proprioceptive, yep. knowing exactly how far your hand has to go out. Correct. And if you want to be able to make a killer uh, uh, movement with your hand, you go one half inch further than your opponent's neck or head is. And you go one half inch further. You don't need to punch all the way through them. Correct. All you have to do is go one half inch further. And if you know exactly where your body is in space, you can manage that one quarter inch within a millimeter mm -hmm. and have a fatal blow or stop the fatal blow and not even touch a hair on the opponent's head. And you can do that. The amazing part about you saying that is because, you know, you didn't get to see this part of my studio when you saw me on camera, but I have uh, to my right a poster of somebody who I idolized since I was a child, Bruce Lee. And that's yes. exactly the method of uh, Jute Kune Do, which I studied for three years, uh, you know, the teachings of Jute Kune Do under Robert Lee, not directly, but, you know, the teachings of Robert Lee, which yeah. is mm -hmm. Bruce Lee's brother, who uh, took over the practice after the passing of Master Bruce Lee. And uh, I call it Master Bruce Lee because, I mean, the way he taught Jute Kune Do is exactly that. This is a man who was in deep connection with balance and with the ability to master not only his brain power, his physical power, his skeletal, skeletal and muscle power, but the overall senses that you're talking about, all the way down to the soul. I mean, Bruce Lee yes. really was a genuine uh, a phenomenon, an enigma to humanity because he really understood and physically transformed himself to the type of person that he lived the way he's the way you know these senses all are geared for us to live to the Correct. point where he developed the martial arts of Jikondo using that exact method of martial arts, which is the one inch punch. Uh, you don't have to be that far away to like you know hurt your opponent if that's your agenda. It's very, uh, very much in line with the teaching of Master Bruce Lee. So, I mean, that's why when I saw the list, I was like, that's exactly the path that you know master lee took and, and the path that a lot of martial artists are now looking at uh for the last uh, several decades since his passing and and ultimately he did with a mastery the third step of the fishing illustration he not only taught how to do it he taught how to teach how to do it yes and that's yep. what's made it a movement instead of just an activity that his protégés gained a great skill, if he taught well how to teach well, then a third generation or fourth or fifth or sixth or eighth generation will learn exactly as well as the master did. And that's the key. That's really the key of any, of any multiplication at all. Yeah, Robert Lee, his brother, uh, people that don't know the history, was a musician. He had no interest in martial arts until uh, Bruce Lee passed away and then uh, he took up on um, uh, Jit Kune Do and he started uh, really learning from the people that were training with Bruce and he ended up uh, continuing the uh, the teachings of Brandon Lee who became himself a uh, pro you know a user and uh, master at Jit Kune Do as well and unfortunately we lost Brandon uh, years and years ago to the tragedy that happened in the movie set uh, that family yeah. uh, it's cursed in a different manner 
altogether. But uh, I mean, the brilliance of putting that in a martial arts, uh, you know, movement at the time that he did, and, and not only teach others like you know you're speaking about, but teach Westerners and and teach anybody. I mean, he didn't just contain mm -hmm. it to China or to anybody in in the Orient or any Orientals. He he said everybody doesn't matter who you are, white, black. Uh, American, Asian, uh, you know, Hispanic, Latino, gay, straight. I mean, he didn't care. He was inclusive to everybody who would go in and actually want to learn the positivities of, you know, these lessons. And, uh, again, mm -hmm. I mean, it, this is right up there. And I think that people like yourself, people like, you know, Mr. Lee and uh, the other Michael who couldn't be here tonight and uh, people who uh, take, you know, the positive step of paying it forward, all follow in the uh, really the footsteps of Jesus in a sense, and are all following the footstep of continuing to pay forward the knowledge that they acquire in their lifetime, because that's really what we do and, and what we're made for. I think at the end of the day is to acquire as much knowledge early on and then pass it forward to the next generation in a positive way. Unfortunately, again, we're seeing uh, more and more of uh, evil people that are just passing really just bad agendas and bad influences on our youth and that's where you're getting a lot of uh, you know things around the world which at, at the core seem very pretty and very nice but when you look at the history of these things they don't ever turn out really good for the mass population and uh, unfortunately we tend to repeat that history in a negative way and that's the saddest part of humanity i think uh, while we have great people that, that are often on the forefront of doing the positive things, a lot of times we lose them along the way and uh, they don't get to like ex you know really express the full uh, message that they have, like you know Bruce Lee and others who have come out and uh, been a great teacher for a short period of time. Luckily, we've had you for, uh, for several decades and with good hope and good health, hopefully you're able to keep doing what you're doing because, I mean, it, it is miraculous work. It really is. And fundamentally is even if you're not a religious person who follows the same religion you do if you're a common sense person and a morale human being you'll understand the teaching is correct period i mean that's i mean that's fundamentally right good point yeah. yes true uh, i mean uh to be honest i always kind of like laugh when people tell me well you know you're just uh being uh you know hard-headed about other things and i'm like well let me ask you, uh, does writing, looting, murdering solve anything at the end of the day when you're doing it to your own community? No. But yet people are getting off on it like if it's a good thing. And literally when I say getting off, people within positions of power are just letting people walk out who have committed these atrocities throughout our country over the last year. And that in itself, I mean, uh, doctor, I mean, that's morally just uh, unacceptable in any free and open society to allow individuals who bring terror and harm to their people in in such a, a horrible way i mean what i've seen this year alone is really shaking me to the core and i know a lot of uh citizens are you know looking at it the same way and they're like why can't people have better perception and a better i you know way of living it's because they're not following these uh, things their balance is off their mentality is off and you see it when you see some of the people that are arrested in their face you can tell that they're just not right uh, there's something morally uh, wrong with the, the moral compass of a lot of these individuals. It has to do, again, with the uh, with a lot of the things you're talking about. Because, again, uh, perception, emotions, motivations, 
uh, all these things are would lead to behavioral and again you either act or you don't act and you're conditioned to act one way or another you're going to do that and that i think is the worst part about it is we're conditioning uh, uh not me myself but a lot of people are conditioning uh people one way or another and a lot of uh, people are taking the negative route and that's scary It is, but from where I sit, it becomes uh, a, a complicated – the whole societal level of this is extremely complex. And how a person perceives it and then how they see their part in that societal definition, mm -hmm. that, that becomes part of the challenge in all this. Uh, you had commented that, that you were, I think, born in 19 – 82 77 you're, 77 oh, 77 so but I, I got here you're... i got here in 1980 uh and uh i was uh, i got here through the mariel boat lift from cuba ah so okay. if anybody knows about immigration immigrants coming here to a foreign land and uh having to uh you know learn the culture as a kid growing up I learned it because I was two years old and I, you know, I was a sponge. When you're a kid, you're a sponge and you learn everything as you can. My mother, who came with me and uh, sacrificed her life uh, literally to get here, uh, you know, she went through hell and high waters to get to this country because she wanted the freedom that the country could provide her and her children. And it was really her uh, bravery. That was able to give me the life that I have today. So I yeah. thank her for Absolutely. you know. She passed away in 2016, and to me that was the biggest loss of my life, uh, because uh, there's nobody that could ever replace that. And what the things that she went through. I mean, that's a book in itself. Her life experience, and uh, people tell me all the time, they're like, "Oh, you must be a Nazi, uh, because you believe in in this ideology of uh, of you know." Uh, freedom of the constitution and this and i'm like how is that a nazi behavior first of all i'm cuban so the nazis don't like me they don't like minorities they don't like latinos uh you know and to believe that because you're you're following a constitution or you're following the the rule of law and that's bad uh considering you know the opposite side is bringing nothing but destruction i mean that's that's silliness in itself but when i find people that are you know so hell-bent in, in proving their religion right without looking at their behavior and their actual engagement on certain things and whether they want to you know actually engage in dialogue or through action uh you know that is scary because people are now not even thinking about dialogue anymore they're just acting out in in rage from uh both ends really i mean it doesn't really matter at this point everybody's just mad at each other and I think we need to sing more kumbaya, and you know, <laughs> and and have right. a little bit more of uh, you know us time instead of uh, you know war time. So, so the the boat lift from Cuba mm -hmm. uh, is a good example of one of the ways we teach about this. Um, your mother decided to take an action to leave Cuba and to uh, endure incredibly challenging very dangerous circumstances to come to the United States with a child uh, and cross that border and make a life in another country uh, by, by really carving it out with her own fingernails. That was a very challenging thing to do. Not speaking the there language. Other, not speaking the language. There were other people so. in Cuba who chose not to act. And the question Correct. is, were they wrong not to act, or was your mother wrong 
to fight the system and to make something happen. Neither one is right or wrong automatically. The question is, what is it in your mother that gave her the drive to address an injustice by action compared to someone who said, I'm going to stay here and try and create a new culture if I can. One of the challenges that were, I, I lived through the, the racial tension and riots of the 1960s. I lived in Cincinnati at the time. That was a city I grew up in. And I was a Jewish kid. Uh, living out on the outskirts of the main city, riding city buses and back and forth. Uh, I can blend in. My family is from northern Germany. And so I, I look as white as anybody else and any um, white person does. And uh, 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 the, the tensions that were going on in the city of Cincinnati uh, were massive. They were absolutely yep. massive racial issues. Mm -hmm. There were friends of mine. I lived in a fairly wealthy section of the city of Cincinnati. My family was really quite well to do. And I became involved in the late 60s and early 70s in the protest movements and marches, uh, trying to get clean water. The Little Miami River was absolutely nauseated, sickly, yes. uh, deadly mm -hmm. because of Procter & Gamble. So I was part of the the young people of that that generation that said, I am not going to sit at home and watch this on TV. I'm going down. I'm going to protest. Well, the problem, the opportunity, the challenge was, how do you keep the protest within conventional lines when there is, in our perception, so much is at stake? Well, I think when some of the things have happened in our country in the last eight to 10 months have been things that in some perceptions, some emotions, some motivations, they're manageable. Whether that's right or wrong, we could debate that forever. But in their perceptions, emotions, motivations, the outcomes that occurred are manageable. And for others, they are not manageable. That's well, when something yep. is totally not manageable and it is an injustice that now defines life and well-being and dignity and it that my place in that is immersed in it then any release of power to be able to bring about change becomes an appropriate outlet for 99% of the population i'm going to watch on tv i'll be sympathetic i'll be uh connected but I'm not going down and marching and burning and breaking into stores, whatever. But 1% of the population will say, it is that important to me that I'm going to become actively energized, engaged in this process. And so the challenge then is not, are they wrong automatically or are the people who sit at home and observe wrong automatically? There's a dialogue that says, why are you Correct. doing what you're doing and what can we do about it? And if we engage in that, there, there are bursts of violence that occur in every human culture that goes back thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. But yep. the violence does not beget societal change. However, it addresses societal failure. And so I think as we and we've moved through these 
um, challenges as a culture repeatedly. That's We can talk about history forever. The reality is yeah. we've moved through them. We will move through them. And mm-hmm. there's a dialogue that is vital for us as a society to have. What we think, West Coast Mike and I, think if we're given the proper platform, we can actually help our society have meaningful dialogue with real words that will result in uh, a transformation, a resolution of some of these matters of conflict. But that remains to be seen. That's why we're doing these interviews is to find that platform. And it's not tough to uh, get through to some people because there is uh, perceptions that are built in for generations in some of these cases where uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you try to talk to them in a logical or reasonable way. They've just already their minds made up, and that's the the biggest problem I think going forward. But you're you know you're absolutely right. Unless sometimes you you know you put yourself out there, you can't really you know say one's right or one's or the other is right or wrong. And perception is a very big key. In fact, I'll say uh, I'll quote Star Wars for example. Uh, going back into 77 when uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's talking to Luke and he's talking about a, a certain point of view about Darth Vader, you know, killing his father. Remember that conversation right. that extended oh, yeah. into Empire Strikes Back, the sequel, when he's talking about, uh, you know, well, Anakin did die at the hands of Vader because he became Vader. He died as Anakin, Vader took over, and... They were both apprentices, so he's not lying to Luke, but it's the way and the point of view he puts the story together. And he's using both sides of the of the story and the narrative to tell an overall story arc without telling him, listen, that was a good guy, and then he turned to a bad guy, and he slaughtered younglings, and he went crazy and started killing his own people. You know, instead of going crazy like that, he's explaining to him and massaging the situation in the right way because he's having that dialogue to get him prepped and ready for what's going to happen when, you know, I am your father. When that moment happens, right? And yep. th- that's a dialogue that you know. Going back to the real world, uh, we're we're faced with people now wanting to have real dialogue, and they just are so you know mentally blocked with what they've been indoctrinated and conditioned to believe is right um, that they just refuse to even sit down and have a coherent conversation. And I've I've experienced this myself when I'm trying to uh, have a show, uh, or even not on a show when I'm just having a conversation with somebody and I don't try to push my agenda or my point of view on them. But when they ask me or say something that I don't agree with, I say, well, how did you come to that conclusion? And instead of giving me a direct answer, they they just start looking at it like, well, you're just trying to trigger me in some hateful manner. And I'm like, no, I'm just trying to have a dialogue. People refuse nowadays to have dialogue and that's a major issue. Well, some people do. One of the yeah. the areas that we have studied a great deal is that of motivation, and we uh, have developed a, a language for describing motivation in five drivers, and the differences between the five, one, two, three, four, five, is the degree to which they are flexible or what we call fluid. At driver one is a conversation or a thought. That's the most fluid. Uh, an opinion or a viewpoint is more settled, it is less fluid than a conversation, Uh, value is a a decision of what's important, and that's more fixed, less fluid than an opinion. A habit is something you've actually done 
over and over. That is more fixed right. and less fluid. And a, what we call culture or identity is the most rigid, the most inflexible, the least fluid of the five drivers. Mm -hmm. What I find is interesting is when we're talking with someone and they are describing their motivation, which is their culture, it is how they see themselves in their identity, and they'll give me cues by the words they choose, I will realize I am not going to change this person's um, stance. I'm not going to change their conclusions because it's not a viewpoint anymore. It's actually the culture in which they live. So I'm going to recognize that. And if, if I want to introduce change, mm -hmm. I'll begin to address what are your habits what do you do over and over and over that contributes towards that culture? If I can help you with some new habits, we can get somewhere. But if I go with conversation or a new idea or a viewpoint, I'm wasting my breath. Yep. There, it, that's not going to bring about a change. Yep. So if I understand that person is living the way they live as a function of their identity, it is their their rock solid foundational culture conversations and sermons and uh, posters and yard signs that is not going to bring about the change uh, in any way in Correct. that culture. Changing and, culture is different. Yeah, and it goes back to get to repetition, like I said earlier. You know, we're talking about muscle memory, but that's part of the habits is the repetition of doing things over and over again. Sure. And that's how you teach people. That's why when you go to school, you, you're not taught one lesson just one time. You're, you know, you go over it several times and they teach you. Absolutely. Properly how to do things. And some people, some people can get it in two repetitions. Yes. Their capacity is they truly do understand it in two repetitions. And there are others who repetition needs to occur 10 or 12 or 15 times. Correct. Before they're going to get it. There are some some virtuosos, some prodigy children who pick up a trumpet or a flute or a harp and they just play what they heard yes. the first time they play guitar yes. and they're just like, wow, how yeah. long have you been playing? <laughs> Two weeks? When did you learn that song? This morning? Yeah. <laughs> and then other people practice for years and never get to that level. It has to do with something in that mystery of capacity. So I respect it. I don't I don't dictate to it. I respect it. And once I can understand how the capacities of a person are functioning, it helps me understand that person much better and appreciate them much more. You know, I faced that myself personally, not to gloat or anything, but uh, with tech stuff, I'm really hands-on and really good. I have not taken uh, classes for a lot of the things that I, that I know I just acquired sure. uh, knowledge over the years. And a lot of it, honestly, comes pretty easy to me. Um, that is because, again, I, my mind is built for that kind of a perception to understand certain things uh, easier, I guess, than some folks. Uh, in fact, I've always had, uh, you know, mechanical things, for example, that, you know, people go through the manual and try to learn every little aspect. And I'm like, forget the manual. Buttons. What does this do? What does that do? Okay, yeah. I figured it out in five minutes. What might take you about five hours to read through a manual it took me about five minutes to figure out. Because I, you know, right. my perception is different. Uh, you do amazing work, uh, Dr. Merrill. I mean, you really do. Uh, it's inspiring. 
Um, the, again, the website is why do people act that way.com. Um, the show again, when does it air? I know you do a podcast with West Coast with Michael and, uh, I want to make sure everybody listens in right now. It's on YouTube and it's, uh, we don't, we're there. There's, a. We've got five of the podcasts up right now. We're doing about two a week. We cool. want to get to where we have 10 by the end of, of 2020 uh, so that we have a body that we've started with. We've had pretty good response for a number of subscribers and number of people listening so far. We're working to get those on different platforms. Uh, we have a publicist that's working with us and uh, and and working towards – um, getting that onto the kinds of responsible platforms that will allow us to be able to speak to a larger number of people. Yep. But out of that, uh, other books that we do, other training that we do, one-on-one consultations, all kinds of avenues of being able to influence and, and uh, resource people is really what we're about. Uh, both Mike and I, West Coast Mike and I, have uh, had careers. We've been teachers and trainers and influencers now for for decades, four decades. But we're finding with today's technology and the freedom that we have at our age and in our life situations uh, to be able to influence at a much broader basis, at least that's possible. And so rather than go golfing or putter in my garden, (laughs) I decided I was going to change the world. And uh, so that's what we're doing. A small task. Change the world. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. You know, one of the right, realities yeah. is there's another philosophy I haven't mentioned yet, but one of my absolute lifelong philosophies is I cannot do everything, but I can do something. Mm. So I'm going to do that. And and God will give the fruit. Uh, I'm not worried about that. I can't do everything, but I can do something. And I'm going to do that. That's and a, so that's that's what we're about. That's a beautiful philosophy. And uh, it reminds me of something that I don't know if you're familiar with uh, this gentleman, Tupac Shakur, the late uh, rap oh, yes, musician. Sure. He had a quote before he passed, which I think is overlooked by people who are, who are fans, and it's brilliant. Uh, he says, I'm not going to be the person who changes the world or, or anything of that nature because he didn't think he was going to live long. But he said, I guarantee you that I will spark the mind of those who will change the world. And it'll be for positive. And I think yep. that he was on the righteous path before the, he was taken out, unfortunately, at a young age, just 25. And uh, he, again, was somebody who was uh, looking at the world in a different spectrum, a different point of view, uh, which I think would have led to a lot of great things. Uh, but, again, your website, why do people act that way.com. Uh, the podcast, I hope that it, it does phenomenally well for you on YouTube. Called Gripping Reality. Gripping, Gripping Reality. reality yeah. Mike and Mike. And you can send an email if you can't think of anything else. You can spell Mike either with an I or a Y okay. and write to Mike at GrippingReality.com. And we'll get it and we'll help you find uh, the way to what you need. And if people want to reach out to you, that's the email to, uh, and website to go to so they yep. can reach out directly and and get help from Mike you. or Mike. We'll we'll get it, and we talk to each other all the time. So whoever gets one note, the other one will get it as well. Fantastic! Thank you so much for spending an hour with me, and uh, God bless you for doing the work you're doing. And please continue Thank to you so much. stay in good health. I want to have you back on shortly, maybe with uh, West Coast Mike, so we continue our conversation here. That'd and, be great. And spend another hour on uh, on Skype here, chatting uh, up a storm to our listeners and our watchers now on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and all over the uh, the place that we're being broadcast. 
Uh, the the video stuff is new to me. I'm I'm ten years in when it comes to the radio stuff. Uh, but you know, I, I've always been told you have a face for radio, and I stuck to that <laughs> until recently, where I'm like, well, you know, people are doing more stuff on video that look a lot worse than me. So what the heck? Let me give it a shot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so here I am giving it a shot. Uh, but bless you again for doing the work you're doing. Please continue the good work. Thanks. I mean, we need people, more people like you out there actually spreading good thank in the you. world. So thank you so much for being here. Great. Thanks, Angel. Till next time, my, my pleasure. friend. Pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. Thank F you. Folks, that is uh, an amazing hour we spent with Dr. Mike Merrill. Please uh, check out, again, the website, Why Do People Act That Way.com. And uh, I hope you guys had a good hour. We have to go. More stuff on the network. This is uh, PSN-Radio.com, SoFlow Radio, Global Enlightenment Radio Network, and, of course, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, all over the place, guys. Please check out the website, AngelEspino.com, for my podcast and for further details on moi, myself, and, of course, for further details on uh, future stuff that I have uh, coming up on the network and psn-radio.com for further details on what's going on with the network. psn-radio.com. As you can see right there on the top, look at that right there. Beautiful stuff. Guys, patreon.com forward slash Angel Espino. Please give us uh, much as little as you can. Every dollar helps considering we're facing dark winter times. But again, we're ending the broadcast tonight with these wise words. Stay safe, stay sound, stay COVID-free. But my friends, stay alive. That's the most important thing. And stay sound of mind. Use your inner balance and pay attention to your soul. If you've learned anything at all tonight from listening to Dr. Mike Merrill and uh, listening to the uh, platform that he has out there is how important it is to understand the the senses and the you know the behavioral attitude of each one of us and what we do for for our daily lives with that said guys uh this has been a, a really a fun uh, hour with dr mark merrill it's been a fun two hours with you guys till next time uh, we're going to be back on sunday with more show again thursday next week with more inside the jackal's head plus tomorrow i'm going to be on youtube right here on angel espino which is the uh other uh show that i'm doing uh podcasting and video casting on that's youtube.com forward slash angel espino you'll be able to catch me on there live tomorrow and i'll be uh tweeting about it on my twitter account so if you follow me on twitter you'll be able to see exactly the time slot where i'm going to put that show on there and uh twitter is very easy real angel espino on twitter uh it's all my name guys inside jackal's head also on uh, on twitter uh, you can find me on either or. Till next time, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening in. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of days with more show right here inside the Jackal's Head. Take care, everybody. Good night. <laughs>